Amos chapter 3, verse number 1, and reads as follows. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealed his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but, not, but, who can but prophecy? Publish in the palaces of Ashdod and the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be given, even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as a shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus, in a couch. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord, the God of hosts. Then the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have, the end, have an end, that saith the Lord. Let's pray for a look at these verses today. Dear God, thank you for this book here that we can study your word and learn from it and all your lessons and your wisdom and your guidance. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the Bible to study and learn from. May your word always be made manifest in this congregation here and be with me as I try to speak your word right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Continue with our study with the book of Amos. Right? And when we talked about Amos, remember the big theme, the big theme of Amos is judgment. Judgment. Right? That's what we hear a lot about when we look at this book. And we've studied the first two chapters. The first two chapters was all about judgment. Right? We heard over and over again for three transgressions and for four. Right? And the listing of what each country did wrong and what judgment is coming to them because of their wrongs. Chapter 1 focused on Gentile nations, and chapter 2, which we've been studying recently, turned their attention toward Israel and Judah. And we've been studying recently all the bad things that Judah did, all the bad things that Israel did, that warranted this coming judgment from God. Right? Last time, we were looking at specifically, right, the uh, reminders that God gave to the children of Israel, right? About all the wondrous things that he had done, right? That he had, you know, helped them conquer all these other countries and so on. And yet they were so ungrateful. They were so ungrateful. They didn't remember God. Instead, they forgot about all that and they wanted to do their own things in their own way, consistent with the rest of the chapter and all the other sin that they had listed off that Israel is doing, that was their attitude. And we saw how their lack of thanksgiving, their lack of thanksgiving, contributed to that problem. And so we said, of course, that we ought to always 
live in a thankful mode, not just in Thanksgiving, not just in November or whatever, but all year round to keep us grounded in our faith. That if we remember that there is a God that blessed us so much, we won't sin against him, will we? That's a hope at least. So that was chapter two. And chapter three, four, and five, which we're going to start right now, presents another kind of similar outline. Amos is a very uh, formulaic type writer, and he tries to lay things out very clearly for the reader. And just as in chapters one and two, there's a repeated phrase, you know, for three transgressions and for four, for three transgressions and for four, right? In three, four, five, we have a new repeated phrase, a new repeated phrase, and a new thing that Amos is going to hammer away at, right? Three, four, and five, here is the thing. It starts off with this. It starts with, hear this word. So you see the start of chapter three, it says, hear this word. Look ahead to chapter four. Hear this word. Chapter five, hear ye this word, right? So in three, four, five, we're getting the word of God, right? The warning of God. So that's what these next three chapters are going to be about, right? These next three chapters are I mean, different variations of the same thing, but they all start the same way. Hear this word. Pay attention, everybody. This is what God has to say to you, right? Hear this word. So today we're going to look at the first, I don't know what you call it, speech, the first uh, whatever, the first chapter. I don't know how you divide these things, but the first message we get. And the next time, I think we'll be able to look at the second message. And the third time, we probably won't finish the third message. That was longer. But let's do this first message from God via Amos. What does he want people to hear? Hear this word. Okay, let's take a look. Chapter, verse 1 says, Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. So number one, the message. Who is this for? This is not just for Israel. If you remember, we've talked about this many times, about the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. He says, this is all the children of Israel. How do we know that? It says it's spoken against the whole family, right? It's against everybody. So all you children of Israel, both Israel and Judah, this message is for you guys, right? It says what? Verse two, you only have I known all the families of all the families of earth. Right? So this is a true statement. Remember, the children of Israel were God's chosen people. Right? So God did not choose to be close with the Egyptians or the Amorites or the you name it, other country. It's only Israel that he has this special relationship with. That he gave them priests and he gave them prophets. Right? Even from the very beginning that he would come down and literally speak to these people, these people of Israel, communicate with them, bless them, do all these things for them, right? So he reminds them once again that it's only you guys that have this relationship. But what about this relationship? What is the significance of this relationship? In the second half of this verse, is, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities, all your iniquities. Part of having this relationship is having the responsibility of this relationship. And because of the special relationship they bore, they had a special relationship and special obligation to God, right? If you got picked out as a special country, 
God is holding them to a higher standard. And as we studied in the previous chapter, we saw how they totally failed that standard, right? And God listed off all the sin that they had done, right? All these things. So because they're held to this higher standard, they get punished for that iniquity. God points out like this in verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed, right? And we'll talk more about this later, but in general, the principle is that they want to be on, we want to be on the same footing, the same path as God. And Israel and Judah clearly were not on the same path. They walked on different roads. So what's the result? Verse 4 through uh, 6, we get a series of rhetorical questions, questions that everyone should know the answer to. And this is setting up something. It's setting up an imagery that God wants to share. Let's go through these questions and the answers, the obvious answers. Maybe it's not obvious for us because we don't live in an era of like hunting and wild animals and stuff. But, you know, to the people reading it, I'm sure it would have made sense to them. And it makes sense to me when I read it. I kind of figured out the answers too. It says, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Is, li- is a lion going to be, be, be like making all this noise when it's not hunting something and eating something or whatever? The answer is no, right? Right? Lion's going to be making that noise when the time's coming to, you know, chow down or whatever, right? We'll see in these series of questions, it's setting up a similar theme. This theme started off by the lion right here, which is that this is when the violence is about to start, right? This is when the bad thing is about to come. So first, the lion in the forest. The second, will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Will a young lion cry out of his den? So a lion in his den, would he start making noise if there's nothing in there for him to eat? Right? The answer is no. He's going to start making noise when the parents feed him, right? This goes hand in hand with the first one, right? When the parents feed him, they start making all this noise and ripping up this animal or whatever, right? So the answer again is nope. Number three question. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no jinn is for him? A snare is like a trap. The jinn is like the, the lure, right? So is the bird going to go into the trap if there's no bait in there? The answer is no, right? Suggesting mean that this bait is, that, that the trap must have bait in it. Why else would the bird go in there, right? And we know what happens when the bird falls in the trap, the bad thing again, right? Just like the lion eating up his prey, just like the baby lion being fed, the bird getting caught in the trap. You see this imagery starting to come together, right? Violent imagery. Next question. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? So if you're the guy that laid the trap, the snare for the bird, would you take it up if it's totally empty? No, right? You're only taking it up because you finally caught something, right? You caught the bird. It's time to eat. That's why you lift up the trap. Once again, this is a foreshadowing of, hey, something's going to happen to this bird, right? Bad thing coming. Verse number six. Next rhetorical question. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Right? If you remember the historical context here, the trumpet could be a sounding of war. Right? When you hear the armies and their trumpets blowing, are you going to be afraid? Well, yes, obviously, you're going to be afraid, right? Because there could be a battle coming. That's the enemy army. They're blowing the trumpets. You're going to be scared. Right? Again, a sign of coming violence. Right? 
And the last one, shall there be evil in the city and the Lord had not done it. Now, this is one of these translation things. You know, some people look at this and they say, does this mean that God caused like evil and stuff like that? No, no, God's not evil. Evil in this context means like uh, a calamity, disaster, right? And this is how it's tying into God, of course, right? Once again, when you have this kind of like a disaster, calamity, bad thing coming, do we know that this is somehow tied into God? Just like these previous examples that we had of all these animals getting ready to be slaughtered and so on. The connection is that this is all a foreshadowing, a warning of the judgment coming against Israel. That God, in the same way he lets the calamity happen, in the same way a lion will rip up its prey, in the same way a bird is going to get caught in the trap and get eaten up and killed, this is what's all been set out, all been laid out there for the children of Israel. This is what's coming. God is announcing my judgment is coming. And he's given it through all these examples, through all these words, through this message, right? He's coming as if he was a lion. He's coming as if he was the invading army. He's coming as if he was the guy setting the trap for the bird. God's telling them. He's giving them warning. (coughs) How much so? Verse 9. Verse 9, he says this. Publish it in the palaces of Ashad and the palaces of Egypt. Tell everyone God's judgment is coming, right? We know Ashad and Egypt, they're like different countries. In fact, they're like enemy countries to Israel and Judah. Even they should know that this is the bad thing coming for them, right? Right? What does he say? So now finally we get the explanation of what is the judgment. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down the strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. It says that they'll be invaded by an adversary. And we know from all of our study of the minor prophets and the historical context that this is true, that Israel and, the end, Israel and Judah and then did get invaded by outsiders, right? Here's the visual again that God uses to tie this all together in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and Damascus in a couch. How are they going to be messed up? How are these countries going to be invaded and messed up? It's as if you threw an animal into the lion. That's what we talked about before in that earlier verse, right? When the lion's hunting its prey. What happens after the lion hunts its prey and eats its dinner? What's left? Verse 12 says, well, there might be like two legs, a piece of an ear, right? That's what happens when you give a wild animal food. It just eats everything up. That's what's going to happen to Israel. And we know that's what happened, right? Because Israel was invaded. They were scattered. And what was left? Well, we know there's this biblical term for it, the the remnant. There is a remnant, right? As if it was just the two legs and just the ear, right? That was all left of Israel, right? There's a small root after they were totally wiped out and taken over and conquered by outside armies. So again, this is a little bit of prophecy in here, right? Just a warning to them. So hear ye, it says in verse 13, hear ye and testify this, right? Share this. Because what will happen in verse 14, it says, there will be a day where he visits the transgressions of Israel 
and upon the altars of Bethel. What does he mean here? The altars of Bethel. Well, altars of Bethel. Bethel at that time was a place that had been converted into a place of worship of idols. So, of course, in that day, you know, the idols is going to be a target, too, of God's wrath for obvious reasons. You don't need to be explained why God doesn't like idols, right? So along those lines, for all the problems Israel has done, their idolatry, in verse 15, the wrap-up is that I will smite the winter house, the summer house, the houses of ivory, the great houses. The country will be smashed. That is his warning right here in chapter 3. So a few things. We'll look at this, and a few things we'll point out. It says the genesis of all this, I think, the start of all this, is in verse 3, and that's what we'll focus a little bit on today. It says, well, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? What happened, I think, was that God and Israel could not walk together because they were not agreed. They could not go on the same path. When two people have different ideas of how to do stuff, it leads to conflict. It leads to stuff not getting done. We know that from the real world, right? You can imagine, like, at you know, your workplace. If you can't get along with your boss or your coworker and you have different ideas how to get things done, it really gums things up, doesn't it, right? If you have a certain way of doing these things and I want to do it this way, and the other guy says, no, I have a different way of doing this thing. I want to do it this way. You are at tension, right? You guys can't get to the goal because you're going already walking in opposite directions. How can you get to the goal and get that job done? It doesn't work, right? How can it be that God is pulling Israel toward holiness and Israel is walking towards sin? There's a tension. It can't go together. They can't be united. It can't work out because they're in opposite directions. You know, there's, there's an old saying, right? There's an old saying I mean, today, nowadays, right? Where people say, opposites attract, right? That's the, uh, the, the common uh, saying, right? But I think some people have actually done studies on this and proven that in reality, opposites do not attract, right? That if you look around, and I know this from anecdotally, anecdotal evidence, and you can, and, I, and I've read the studies about this too, that in general, that's not true. People favor people that are similar to them, that have similar interests, right? Doesn't mean that they're identical, right? People do do complementary things, right? There's something called being complementary to each other, like, one guy's a good talker and one guy's a good listener, right? And so they become friends. But it's less likely that two people become friends when they're from totally different backgrounds, right? And I know this from my own life, right? I didn't have many friends, for example, who are, you know, like rich white guys who live in Marin, right? They're different, right? My friends are a lot of people like you guys here. Oh, you guys are like immigrant children from, you know, Sunset or Richmond, right? Went to the same school, same background. That's just how people feel and act, right? There is no, there, there is no true, like, opposites attract. We don't see it all the time. Otherwise, you know, we would see it a lot more commonly, right? Where it's, you know, I don't know, the, the black guy from the ghetto is the best buddies with the white guy from the rich area, right? You don't see that very often, right? It's the black guy from the ghetto is friends with the other black guys in the ghetto, right? And the rich white guy is friends with all the other rich white people, right? This is reality. That's the truth. Because if you cannot be agreed and stuff like that, it's hard for you guys to walk together and do anything. And for any kind of collaborative process, 
God insists, God is giving a, a advice also that we ought to be agreed, be in the same uh, mindset, the same heart. The problem for Christians living today, and even Christians living back then, I guess, right? And the problem that Israel and Judah face is that even though God preaches separation, being separate from the world, right? Being mixing holy with holy and now with unholiness. The problem with that and the struggle with that and the reason why this comes up over and over again that Paul has to write about in the New Testament and we talk about here in the Old Testament over and over again is because even though we know that we have supposed to have separation, walk with people, similar ideas, is that we still live in the world, right? We live in the world, but we're not of the world. That's the hard task for all of us. You see, something, it would be really easy, right? Really easy to say that, ah, we're going to always be united and have people have the same thought and walk in the right path if we just take the attitude to the extreme to say, you know what? I will only have friends that are, you know, Christians with my beliefs, right? I will only work for a Christian company. I will only buy food from the Christian grocery store. I will only uh, watch a TV show made by Christians and all that kind of stuff like that. Well, basically, you'd be saying, why don't I just go be like a monk, right? That's what monks do, right? Oh, I'm going to go isolate myself. And the only people I talk to in the world are Christians. Therefore, every time, it'll always be people with I agree with and God agrees with, and it'll be perfect. Is that right? No, that's not right. That is not right. That is not right. That's not what God wants for us, right? God has placed us in this world to be a shining light for the rest of the world. He keeps us in this world to be, yes, separate, but also be of the world to share the gospel to share the good news. It's been like that all the way since then, since even the time of Amos, right? God could have made it that, oh, Israel and Judah, they live in their own little kingdom. They have walls and protections. It's like a bubble. And they'll never have to deal with anyone else, right? But that's not the way it was. They had to deal with other people. And they failed in their dealings. Same thing goes today. We could say, let me put myself in a bubble. I'll never deal with anyone else. That way it'll be perfect. Everyone will all agree with God and we'll all be happy. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. We don't live in a bubble. We go out there and we share the gospel. We interact with these people. So what's the challenge? The challenge is to still walk together while doing all these things. And I think the key element, I think the key element in it is to think about when it turns to things that are significant partnerships in our lives, do we have them driven by the right people? So we're not talking about everything. We're not talking about, do I work for some guy that I totally 100% agree with? Like, no, it's not gonna be like that. Like I said, it's not gonna be like only watch the TV show that is some you know, Christian TV show or whatever. You know, it's not gonna be like that you know, 100% agree with. But there are certain things that drive us in our lives that are so significant that maybe we should take uh, to, uh, should take notice of. In the New Testament, Paul writes about it this way, right? He talks about not being unequally yoked, right? That if you're like an animal, behind two animals to drive the cart, you're going to get two animals of equal power to drive the cart. If you have one strong animal like an ox and one weaker animal like a donkey, it won't go at the same speed and your cart will go at a different speed, right? And it won't go straight. 
When you get important stuff, you want to make sure you drive straight. Like, for example, your family. Your family is an important thing. This is why people have talked about why it is important that, hey, your family ought to be together as a Christian family, right? Not one saved and one unsaved. It's going to be hard when two people are driving in a different direction. When one side of the family says, oh, we need to tithe and give offering. Another side says, why are we wasting our money doing that? When one side says, our kids need to go to church. And the other side says, no, I don't want my kids to learn all this stuff that I don't believe in. There's a conflict. When you get key things like that, we want to make sure we're on the same page. Likewise, our relationship with God is like a family, isn't it? That we want to have our relationship with that family, our Heavenly Father, going in the right direction. So in all these things, we've got to walk side by side. And because Israel didn't, that's how they wound up in trouble. More on their troubles next time, but we're out of time. Let's bow forward our prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word here in Amos chapter 3 that we heard about children of Israel and their problems and their coming judgment. They didn't walk with you. They weren't aligned with you in thought. Lord, we're going to make it in our lives that we're aligned with you the best we can. We know that we have to live in this world and there's competing pressures pulling us in every direction. But we know for those key important things, we want to be aligned with you. Stay true to you and walk with you. We ask that you bless the rest of the Sundays and continue to worship you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.